This is Encounter on VOA. Here's Carol Castiel. Welcome to Encounter on the Voice of America against the backdrop of recent mass shootings in Tennessee and Alabama. In addition to gun violence in Texas and New York, we revisit the debate over gun safety legislation in America. Hello again. I'm Carol Castiel. In May 2022, a gunman killed 10 African-Americans at a supermarket in Buffalo, New York, which was considered a racist attack. Less than two weeks later, an 18-year-old wielding an AR-15 style rifle killed 19 children and two teachers at the Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. It was the deadliest school shooting since 20 children and six adults were killed at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Connecticut in 2012. This compelled Congress to reach a compromise on the most significant federal gun safety legislation since the expired 10-year assault weapons ban of 1994. In June 2022, U.S. President Joe Biden signed into law the bipartisan Safer Communities Act, which includes funding for school safety, mental health programs, state crisis intervention programs, and a mechanism to provide background checks for juveniles between the age of 18 and 21 who want to buy guns. Nonetheless, according to the Gun Violence Archive, the United States has faced at least 163 mass shootings this year which means that there have been more mass shootings than days in 2023. Mass shootings are defined as an incident in which four or more victims are shot or killed. In March, an armed assailant breached the campus of the Covenant School, that's a private academy in the Green Hills neighborhood of Nashville, Tennessee, and killed six people. Additional tragic shootings have occurred in Alabama. At least four young people were killed at a Sweet 16 birthday party. In Kansas City, a young black man was shot because he accidentally ran the wrong doorbell. And in upstate New York, four young women were shot at for unintentionally entering the wrong driveway. Well, there's so much to discuss. So more on the gun debate in America and the political hurdles facing gun safety advocates. We turn to two people on very different sides of the debate. Dave Workman is spokesperson for the Second Amendment Foundation, which is dedicated to promoting a better understanding about the U.S. constitutional heritage to privately own and possess firearms. He is also editor-in-chief of thegunmag.com, the foundation's official firearms news publication. And Nick Wilson, he is the senior director for gun violence prevention at the Center for American Progress, and that's a think tank here in Washington, D.C. Prior to joining CAP, Nick Wilson was the associate director of policy planning and coordination at the Baltimore City Mayor's Office of Neighborhood Safety and Engagement. And both gentlemen join me via Zoom. First, welcome to Dave Workman, joining us from Washington State. Welcome to the program. Well, thanks very much for having me. I'd like to welcome Nick Wilson here in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Carol. Glad to be here. So let me start with you, Dave Workman, over there in Washington State. From what I understand from the website, the Second Amendment Foundation carries on many educational and legal action programs. They're designed to better inform the public about the gun control debate. So how would you characterize where we are today with respect to this proliferation of mass shootings? Are you nonetheless in favor of safety measures to govern the ownership of firearms and certain restrictions to prevent people who shouldn't own them from owning them? 
Well, you know, we have laws right now that are supposed to prevent criminals and people who've been adjudicated mentally unstable from having firearms. I'm a certified firearms instructor, so naturally I fully support the idea of good firearm safety, whether in the home or on the street or you're out hunting or at the range doing target practice. It's very important to be safe with any firearm that you're using. We also have laws on the books that are designed to punish people who misuse firearms. And I think we're going to see that happen, especially in the Kansas case and uh, the case up in New York where the four young ladies in the car were fired at simply because they drove into the wrong driveway. Thank you, Dave. And of course, laws are one thing, laws on the books, but then the implementation and maybe abuse thereof. So, Nick Wilson, let me get your take on the situation we're facing right now. This proliferation, these mass shootings, these so-called accidental shootings, it seems overwhelming. It is overwhelming. We're a country now that has more guns than people. And while it's very important that people like Dave teach responsible gun ownership, I also ran rifle ranges with the Boy Scouts for many years and taught firearm safety. But unfortunately, there are laws to have so many loopholes that still let people that want to commit violence to be able to get their hands on guns and commit horrific mass shootings or the everyday gun violence we see in cities across the country. And now with so many so-called Second Amendment sanctuary cities or places where sheriffs are saying they will no longer enforce the laws on the books, and we see Republican attacks on federal law enforcement trying to enforce existing gun laws, like Jim Jordan bringing ATF to his hearings to attack them for new rules, we're in a very different landscape where we no longer can agree about basic common sense gun laws and gun safety. There's a different mentality of no gun laws or going to the extremes. So Dave Workman, with respect to what Nick just said, he's saying that we're seeing more extreme positions than ever now on the side of, let's say, the National Rifle Association or perhaps organizations like yours, but I don't want to put words in your mouth in terms of it's either guns without regulations or everything else doesn't really count. I mean, we just saw recently the National Rifle Association, the largest gun rights advocates group in this country, basically saying that guns aren't the problem, that we need to arm teachers in schools. Where do you stand on that particular spectrum, would you say? I mean, are you in favor, for example, of the recent legislation, the bipartisan legislation that I outlined in my introduction? Well, it depends on what the legislation is designed to do and what it actually accomplishes. And over the years, as a journalist, I've covered this issue. And it's been my experience that the legislation that is advertised as being for something to accomplish something oftentimes does fall short. For example, here in Washington state, where I'm at right now, which is in the far northwest corner of the United States. We adopted a background check, mandatory background check initiative back in 2014. And in 2018, we changed the rules again by citizen initiative on the possession of so-called assault weapons, which is really just a semi-automatic rifle that may look scary. And in the aftermath of those two initiative passages, the violent crime has gone up in Washington state. The number of murders has increased in Washington state. And as a result, of that, we've had skyrocketing applications for concealed pistol licenses by private citizens so that they could protect themselves not only in their homes, but also on the street, especially in an environment since 2020 when we've seen manpower in local police departments start to shrink. Seattle, for example, uh, has lost somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 officers in the last two and a half years. And that sort of news in the headlines always compels people to take a little bit 
bit more perspective and more responsibility for their own safety. So I think we've got a situation where if the law does what it's supposed to do and gets bad guys off the street, that's one thing. But unfortunately, uh, one of the big loopholes we've got is a justice system that seems to favor the rights of the criminals or the rights of the victims. And uh, we see these cases where recidivists, they've got 18, 19, 20 felony convictions. They're still out running around committing more crimes. So I think the people in the firearms community are all in favor of trying to sort this one out and get the bad guys off the street and just to be personally left alone by the government. Okay, Nick Wilson, I'll need you to respond. I don't think these young people who were shot at and some killed would consider themselves criminals. And I don't think Dave was trying to say that, but there are a lot of victims, very innocent victims. What is the impediment here in your view? Is there any common ground with respect to allowing people under the Second Amendment? Yes, that there are restrictions, however to own weapons and to use weapons, firearms? It's a, a great question. I do believe there's a lot of common ground. I think even federally, where lots of inaction has been commonplace for 30 years, we finally got the Bipartisan Safer Community Act that had very popular provisions on with both sides of the aisle. But if you just look at polling numbers, you'll see that just in Tennessee, a very conservative area, most Trump voters, most Republican, most gun owners supported background checks and safe storage and extreme risk protection orders, the same policies that led thousands and thousands of students to leave their schools and march to the Capitol demanding action, where the legislator then removed two gun violence prevention champions who are also Black under racist and anti-democratic motives. And they won't be stopped because they know that the young people, many of whom we've met who have survived multiple now mass shootings or school shootings, aren't going to give up until the legislators and public officials do their job and either pass gun laws or they're voted out by this young generation that won't sit down and wait for them to make their actions. And I'd like to say to the previous point, the reason why many people that do have criminal records are able to continue to commit violence is because of the lack of gun laws. Before moving to Baltimore, I lived in Maine and there were no background checks you're allowed to carry a gun without any permit, any proof that you've ever fired a gun, that you know the existing laws. And just this week, someone was able to murder several people in a household and then start shooting innocent people on the highway. And this person had just gotten out of prison, had convictions for assault that should have prohibited them from buying a gun. But they can still go into a Walmart parking lot and buy an assault weapon and carry that around with them. And law enforcement are unable to do something. And so it really is the lack of enforcing the existing gun laws that is making it very difficult for us to keep our communities safe. And it puts law enforcement at risk and makes their job a lot more difficult. So that's why chiefs of police and sheriffs continue to support common sense gun laws because it will make it easier for them to keep their communities be safe. We'll have more in just a moment, but first you are listening to Encounter on the Voice of America. Our guests are Dave Workman, he's spokesperson for the Second Amendment Foundation and editor-in-chief of thegunmag.com, the foundation's official firearms news publication, and Nick Wilson, from whom you just heard. He's the senior director for gun violence prevention at the Center for American Progress here in Washington. We are discussing the spate of gun violence in America and what can be done to reduce it. This is a reminder that our Encounter podcast is available on our website at voanews.com slash encounter. You may also follow us on Twitter at Carol underscore Castiel or connect with us on Facebook at Current Affairs with Carol Castiel. Here's a shout out to a Facebook fan, Raid Abu Zaid from Ismailia, Egypt. 
Well, thank you, Raid, and we wish all our Muslim listeners Eid Mubarak in honor of Eid al-Fitr. If you want to hear your name on the air, please send an email to encounter at voanews.com or like us and leave a comment on our Facebook page. We're back to our special guests and our discussion on gun violence in America. So over to you, Dave Workman. Dave Workman, I want to get a sense of what is your organization's relationship to the National Rifle Association? Do you agree on most of the same issues with regard to guns? Well, the Second Amendment Foundation is a separate organization completely from the National Rifle Association. We never have been joined at the hip, as we might say. The uh, Second Amendment Foundation was founded about 44 years ago by a man named Alan Gottlieb, who is now the executive vice president. And the whole focus of the Second Amendment Foundation is on education and litigation, whereas the National Rifle Association, it's the largest gun rights organization in the country. Their focus is far wider on, for example, training and on legislative activity. SAF doesn't get involved in politics really at all. We don't endorse people for public office, for example, and we don't campaign for specific pieces of legislation, whereas the NRA does that. And the NRA, I think, has somewhere in the neighborhood of three to four million members. We're about 700,000 to 720,000 members. There's a lot of crossover in the membership, of course, because uh, gun owners will belong to one or more of the various gun rights groups. But we have been involved in some lawsuits together over the past several years. And that really is, I guess, where you would find the connection. We join hands and go into court together on legal actions against uh, what we believe to uh, be unconstitutional gun laws. That leads me to ask you just a couple of quick questions, Dave. And that is, for example, in light of all these shootings that we're seeing, whether accidental or intentional, for example, the NRA seems to think that guns are not the problem, but what we really need are, for example, with respect to these mass shootings in schools, we need to arm teachers. Do you agree with that, for example? Is that well, the answer? There is an organization that was started in Ohio called the Faster Organization. They actually teach volunteer teachers and uh, staff members at various schools on how to respond to threats, uh, school invasions, perhaps. And since that started, there hasn't been a single shooting in a school that I know of anyway, where there's been armed staff or teachers. And that's a strictly voluntary thing because it's tough for a police officer to get to a school in just a few seconds. When seconds count, there's a phrase, when seconds count, police are minutes away. The exception, of course, was in Nashville recently where we saw police on the scene in just a matter of a couple of minutes. And I've watched the video of the takedown of that shoot. And in less than four minutes, the police had entered the building, cleared two floors of that building, confronted the shooter and taken her down. That's a phenomenal bit of heroism. And unfortunately, we've had programs in the country where police officers were assigned to schools. And for some reason, I I don't know why, a lot of those programs have been ended and uh, the police officers have been removed from the schools for, you know, whatever reason. But I think there's an opportunity to bring back the school resource officer program and also as an expansion to have an armed teacher program provided, of course, they have to qualify. They have to take a uh, training course. They've got to do all kinds of things. They go through a background check. So we're not just handing guns out to teachers to do this. They have to be volunteers and be willing to do this. Nick Wilson, from your sources, do you think that teachers want to be armed and do you think that is 
a solution or part of the solution to mass shootings in schools? We hear every day from teachers across the country and leaders at the National Education Association and other representations of teachers that they do not want to do this. They don't think it'll make them safer. They don't want to be put in a position where they might have to shoot their six-year-old student right in front of their other students. They believe that part of the reason why there have been relatively few shootings inside classrooms is that we keep guns outside of the schools. We've seen a massive increase in the number of incidents of shootings on school grounds or after dismissal. By the end of May, we'll see more this year than we've seen in any year on record. But teachers say they don't want to. And we see a lot of unintended consequences. In Texas, a former student took a gun away from campus police. And we see guns being left in bathrooms. We see them being unsecured. And so we listen to the teachers and the students who say they don't want more guns in the classroom. And having even armed police there, you know, it's the anniversary of Columbine. They were outgunned and they didn't want to go in. Parkland, again, there were already officers on the scene. They didn't do anything we saw in Uvalde. There still aren't answers for why there's no accountability for the police officers not going in to hold them accountable. So what we need to do is we need to focus less on turning our schools into prisons or having shootouts and focus more on making sure that people that shouldn't have access to guns don't have access and that we intervene before it's too late. Well, that leads me to ask you, Dave Workman, what about an AR-15? This is a weapon of war. I've heard said, I interviewed a congresswoman this week whose son was a Marine, and he said absolutely that weapons of war should not be available. There's no contradiction between banning AR-15s and still being faithful to the Second Amendment. Why does anybody need an AR-15? And they have been the weapon of choice of these mass shootings. What is your position, your foundation's position with regard to banning assault-style weapons? First and foremost, let's understand that the AR-15, a civilian modern semi-automatic rifle, is not a weapon of war. And whoever coined that phrase is a moron because they don't know anything about firearms. The AR-15 is strictly a semi-automatic rifle. It wouldn't uh, really be carried into the battle field by anybody who's looking to be engaged in a war. Sure, they look scary. They look pretty much like the military version. And people's opinions differ on this. Right now, there are somewhere in the neighborhood of 22 to 24 million of those guns in circulation right now. And they are used for all kinds of different legitimate purposes, home defense, predator control. Police officers have them as patrol rifles in their vehicles. I know of some cases where it has been reported where people People have defended their homes and families with an AR-15. They're a superb target rifle. They're just a semi-automatic rifle. Right, but they've done a lot of damage. And there are some who say, however you want to call them semantics, they are assault weapons. But what about background checks then? What is your position on universal background checks? I think most people believe surveys show, opinion polls show, that most Americans are in favor of federal universal background checks. That could prevent people who should not own a gun, no matter what type, from obtaining one. What's wrong with that? That is something that we don't have quite yet. I live in a state with so-called universal background checks. As I said earlier in the program, our murder rate has gone up not down since the adoption in 2014 of this so-called universal background check law. The number of firearms-related homicides has gone up, not down. So while the background check may be a good idea uh, if it's carried out properly, I'm not sure that it actually does what it's uh, trying to accomplish because of the, the crime data just doesn't uh, show that. 
Let me get Nick Wilson to weigh in, Nick, with regard to banning assault-style weapons. To what extent you think that could really make a difference? That's something that many gun safety advocates have proposed. And if not that, increasing the age of acquiring one from 18 to 21. And what's the situation with regard to universal background checks? The last I checked, so to speak, I don't think that's Mm -hmm. included in the most recent legislation that was passed last year. You are correct. And starting with assault rifles, Dave did have a good point earlier that some people have a visceral reaction to how scary an assault weapon looks. But I don't care how it looks. I care about the impact. And what's clear is that there are unique differences to assault weapons that make them the weapon of choice for people that want to kill as many people as possible. One being that the bullet has bigger exit wounds and does a lot more damage. That's part of the reason why in Uvalde they had to use DNA testing to identify the victims because they were unidentifiable because their entire heads were destroyed by these bullets. As well as that assault rifles or AR-15s, they have high capacity magazines, so it can do more damage without reloading. And reload time gives you an opportunity for a bystander to intervene. And so for a while, assault weapons were really focused on how do we address mass shootings, which are a small but very important part of the larger gun violence problem. But now we're seeing them used in Baltimore. A 12-year-old was shot and killed with an assault rifle on the streets over the weekend. They're being used in everyday gun violence. And this was not the case for 10 years when we did have a ban on assault rifles. So we want to reconstitute that because we will see that we will have less casualties when somebody wants to substitute for a different gun. As for background checks, we do know that background checks are effective. I don't think they're sufficient. Other things need to go with them. And actually permit to purchase where someone can go and fill out a permit and make sure that they have complied with the laws and have basic training and live fire. Those are more effective than background checks. And we would encourage states like Washington State that have background checks to see if there's ways to strengthen their laws so it's even more effective. But you're right. It's not something that we were able to accomplish last year, despite 90 percent of Americans supporting background checks. Back to you, Dave Workman, in the very few minutes we have left. What would you say to incidents where a man who was worried about this young man who rang the wrong doorbell, he shot this person, there was no threat to him. You were an educator. So this is not about restricting guns or more regulations, but it's about etiquette and of don't shoot first. What would you say? How would you address your fellow gun owners about not doing something like this? A young lady turns into the wrong driveway, shot dead. This can't be normal. Well, that's not normal. That, I think, is the thing we have to keep in perspective. These cases that we've discussed earlier today, they are not normal. It's nonsense, in my opinion, as a firearms instructor, to open fire on somebody simply because they came up and rang the doorbell, whatever the case was. And I was chatting with somebody just the other day about the uh, incident involving the young ladies who drove into the wrong driveway. You don't shoot people for driving into the wrong driveway. Nine times out of 10, they're lost. That's not a lethal threat to anybody. So uh, I think what's going to happen is the laws that are in existence right now, we're going to see how well the judicial system works against the people who pull the trigger, and then we'll go ahead and move forward from there. And so, Nick Wilson, I'd like you to address what Dave just said with regard to these unfortunate shootings. You know, aside from the larger measures, whether background checks or banning assault weapons. What about etiquette? This also has to do with potential racism or a sense of unjustified fear and reaching for the gun before other types of interventions. What can we do as a nation to reduce that? There are a few policies that could be helpful here. I think stand your ground law makes it very difficult to hold people accountable when they do decide to fire first. But really, 
I do believe we need to get at the culture. And, you know, growing up with firearms, we didn't call them weapons. We had respect for them. We used them for target practice or for hunting. But the new generation of gun owners are really interested in having guns for self-defense. And they're told that they need to be ready to have a gun at all times to protect themselves. The person that shot Ralph Yarl, he watched a lot of Fox News and was apparently very scared. And it's a cultural thing that is unfortunately being presented by the National Shooting Sports Foundation and the NRA and some of the more extreme parts of the gun lobby where they hired Madison Avenue marketing firms to try to figure out how to sell more guns to the black community and then how to send more guns to women. And they came up with weaponless Wendy saying, oh, we need to sell her a gun so she could protect herself from other people that might want to hurt her or have guns. And so while I agree with Dave that we have a lot of guns and gun owners in this country, and most of them are responsible. The fact that we have more first-time gun owners that aren't being trained and are buying it for self-defense and keeping a pistol under their pillow or under their bed loaded and unlocked, that's where we're going to see more of these incidents. And so we do need to have more civil dialogues of how we can work together. And I think today was a great example, and it's a pleasure talking to Dave about ways that we can really go back to the culture of training and safety and being responsible. Well, I think that's a very positive and upbeat way to end this program. So I'd like to thank you both for joining me today. My guests, Dave Workman, he's spokesperson for the Second Amendment Foundation, and Nick Wilson, Senior Director for Gun Violence Prevention at the Center for American Progress. Thanks to both of you for your thoughtful insights. Encounter was produced in Washington with technical assistance from Rick Pantaleo. I'm Carol Castiel. Join me again next week for another Encounter on The Voice of America. America.